-hmm. is that everything has to have an exchange of value. Mm -hmm. Money is just an exchange of value. That's all it is. It's an exchange of energy. Oh, the revenue, right? Much like in a startup. Yes, man. And, and let's get some of our old soldiers back out. Musicians to be professional. They know how to talk. To help them wake up happy. It's not about a rectangle and a price. All right, y'all. We tuned in for another episode of Bank That Radio Show. I'm your host, Andreas, and I have Amber Furman who is on uh, Zoom with us. And, you know, uh, one, I got to give a shout out to Podmatch because I've been finding a whole lot of great, fantastic people with diverse backgrounds. But let me tell you a little bit about Amber. She is an attorney, an author, speaker, success architect, and podcaster. She is the owner and attorney at Furman Law in Las Vegas, Nevada, where she practices criminal defense and immigration law. I think that's an interesting combination to be able to practice growing up in immigration law, but I can see where you know it goes hand in hand. Uh, so Amber, just a little bit about yourself, and I know you have this, uh, you know, illustrious uh, uh, about Amber on your profile and stuff, but I, I really want people to be able to get to understand. Oh, an author as well. I'm, I'm sitting there looking at break your break your bullshit box, okay? I, I definitely want to talk about that too. <laughs> Sounds good. I'm always down for it. I will um, pre-frame all of this by saying that sometimes my dog decides she wants to be a part of this episode. So if you hear uh -huh. her crunching in the background, uh -huh. my apologies and just know oh, that she fine. sends hey. her love. Hey, that that, that is, a, I'll tell you a funny story real quick. That That's, uh, you know, it is what it is. So on my podcasting journey, um, I've actually had my kids in my podcast when they were little as infants, because of course, you know, I didn't have a babysitter and things of that nature. So, you know, I still have to make things work. And I had artists lined up. It was uh, interesting to have uh, one of my daughters when she was like about nine, 10 months, whatever, just sitting there with two interviews, just sitting there on my arm, just looking at the person like, oh, okay, what is he doing? And then I also had the same daughter with a group of uh, rappers. And, you know, I don't know if they felt awkward or whatever, but I was just asking them about their careers and stuff like that. Why she's just sitting there on my arm? Just, <laughs> she didn't make any noise. You're just sitting there looking yeah. at folks or whatever, like, ah, oh. so I get it. You know, I think uh, life should allow for experiences like that, regardless so of, true. you know, work and all that things of that nature, because it's, it's hard to separate the two. And I don't think it, I don't really think it's fair to try to separate the two. No, it's really not. You know, I used, when I first started my show, I used to crate her up when I would do an episode and I would make because mm -hmm. she's always so quiet in her crate. Mm -hmm. And then I started to realize like people actually create social media accounts for their dogs. And one day mm -hmm. I didn't create her and she jumped up in the episode and the interviewer was like, let's forget you for a minute. Let's talk about your dog. And I was like, oh, yeah. like, people want the human. And mm -hmm. I feel like that's one of the biggest mistakes that so many different people make is they try to make it so perfect when what mm -hmm. people actually what they actually attract to relate to and connect to is the human and messy part of mm -hmm. what you're editing out through, mm -hmm. you know, your Instagram perfect life. Yeah, I definitely, I've had those conversations all the time. And I think uh, that's actually how I've been able to build my audience uh, through authenticity and people knowing that, you know, I'm going to edit the interview as far as like, I'll put the graphics up. Um, yeah. I'll put like a little border around, you know what I'm saying? The interview box and, you know, I'll throw in commercials, you know, as C fit or who pays for space and ad space and all that stuff. But the rest of the stuff I'm like pretty much stays in. Yeah. Um, because that is life. Life is this one big old complex thing that we live. And at the end of the day, you know, we have to be happy with it. So Yeah. You know, that's actually the advice that I give to my coaching clients when they say, I don't like myself on video. And my answer mm -hmm. is live stream it. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I just told you that I didn't like myself on video. And now you want me to not be able to edit it. And I said, all the mm -hmm. stress is gone. Mm -hmm. All the stress of thinking that you can take something back is gone and it's mm -hmm. out into the world. Mm -hmm. So allow yourself to get better in a place where the opportunity to edit it and change it and perfect it isn't there. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so what what got you into, you know, law and, you know, wanting to go down that path? Because that's everybody can't do that. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. And I think 
um, one of the craziest things about human behavior is mm -hmm. that our answers to things change depending on the stage of life that we're in. So mm. I think it's interesting to think back to the way that I would have answered this question three, four, five years ago and the way mm -hmm. I answer it now. The short answer, and I talk about this in my book, is that I was running from my trauma and I thought mm. that law school and success would fix it. Mm -hmm. um, my dad passed away when I was 18. And oh. one of the last conversations I had with him was about how he thought I'd make a good attorney. So mm. when I was running my life into the ground and drinking my success away and mm -hmm. um, grieving in the only way that I knew how as the oldest child and the first person that had dreams of going to college, mm -hmm. I realized that that life of bar hopping and failing out of college and not holding myself accountable to where I knew I could be mm -hmm. wasn't the life I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I remembered the conversation with my dad that I'd make a good attorney. And I was like, well, nothing else is cutting it. So mm -hmm. maybe the six figure income and a law degree mm -hmm. will make everything stop hurting. And mm -hmm. for anybody who's waiting for the cliffhanger, um, it didn't. So eventually <laughs> you got to deal with the shit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, do your clients like your approach? I mean, they pay me, so I would assume so. <laughs> they pay me. <laughs> I, um, my you coaching clients are my very relatable. Clients. What's that? You seem very relatable. Thank you. I get told all the time that I don't, um, appear as an, what people expect from an attorney. And I tell them uh -huh. that's the best compliment I've ever gotten. So, exactly. um, my legal clients, it's really interesting because I have this both in my legal business and also in my approach mm -hmm. to coaching, I just don't buy into the bullshit excuses. You know, as a criminal mm -hmm. defense attorney, I can't tell you how many times I heard I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm -hmm. I'm 41 and I've never been in the wrong place at the wrong time that resulted in a felony. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that that doesn't exist, but there are mm -hmm. choices that get made up to that wrong place at the wrong time moment that we get mm -hmm. to learn from and take responsibility for. Mm -hmm. That same thing happens in the coaching industry, mm -hmm. right? It's not my fault that this happened to me. Like I have no control over this. Like that's great. Mm -hmm. Keep thinking that and mm -hmm. let's see where your results end up. Mm -hmm. So on both sides of the spectrum, it's just this real heart to heart conversation that may mm -hmm. have been true. Mm -hmm. Now you're in this situation. What are we going to do to get you out of it? Mm -hmm. um, and, and I laugh and jokingly say that I'm surprised that people pay me because um, I'm not always gentle. I'm always mm -hmm. kind Mm -hmm. And I always come from a place of possibility and love and support mm -hmm. that sometimes the gentle pat you on the back approach is what actually mm -hmm. got you into your problems, not what's going to get you out of them. Exactly. Um, so you, uh, you practicing law, is that within your own practice or you are an employee of another practice? Oh God, no. I opened my practice <laughs> in 2017 and I am certifiably <laughs> unemployable. That, that sounds like you've been. But <laughs> otherwise, you're like, oh God, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it's I brought up a trigger point. <laughs> I um I'm actually winding down my law practice. And each okay. time I tell myself I'm gonna close it, I end up mm -hmm. taking more cases. Oh wow. But I no longer have this big staff. I don't mm -hmm. have attorneys that work for me. And mm -hmm. it's it, it's really interesting because I was afraid for mm -hmm. a long time to close my practice because I was making so much money in it, but mm -hmm. I was so miserable. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be working with people in coaching. I wanted to be speaking. I wanted to be traveling. I wanted to mm -hmm. be podcasting more. Mm -hmm. And then I had to go to court and I'm like, this is yeah. a horrible inconvenience for me. Money and go to court and I can be out here talking to people and inspiring right. them. And... Exactly. So I, I made the decision to close my law practice. And then uh -huh. as the moment that I said, I'm going to close my practice, all of a sudden that weight of feeling like I had to be in it was gone. Mm -hmm. My staff found different jobs. And then I mm -hmm. was still getting these referrals because I've been doing mm -hmm. it for 12 years. Mm -hmm. And it then became a question of, can I take this case mm -hmm. and not sacrifice what mm -hmm. I'm building over here and the freedom mm -hmm. that I want over here. Mm -hmm. And if the answer to that is yes, mm -hmm. then can we come to an agreement on payment terms? If mm -hmm. the answer to it is no, then I don't care how much money you're willing to pay me. I will send mm -hmm. that referral to someone else because mm -hmm. I'm at a point in my life and business right now where my ability Mm -hmm. to maintain the life mm -hmm. that I want to have is more mm -hmm. important than the ability to maintain the status. Um, I've been doing that for the last 
Yes. About seven years now. And I love it. It gives you this sense of freedom that you get to move around. And, and I bet you, I bet it, uh, people see it too, right? You get to walk around happy and people are not happy. That, they're not happy for you. They're mad because they're not happy and they can see your happiness. Yeah. And I think that everybody can relate to this. I'm going to use the legal industry. However, insert whatever industry you're in, because I promise you, you've had this conversation. Mm -hmm. When I went to and finally opened up to the attorneys that are in my community and told them that I was walking away from the full-time practice of law, every single one of them congratulated me. Mm -hmm. And it was like with this almost jealous congratulations. Like mm -hmm. I wish that I could do that. Mm -hmm. And everybody outside of the industry looked at me like I had three heads. Like, why would you ever walk away from this? Exactly. And I think it's so interesting how we look at somebody else's life and think because you have the law degree, because you mm -hmm. have the title after your name, mm -hmm. because you have the respect uh, that they believe comes with the profession, how mm -hmm. could you ever choose to give that up? Well, I also have the panic attacks and the anxiety and the emotion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like it's not always worth it. Mm -hmm. And that's actually where my journey started was that I started having panic attacks when I was at the pinnacle of my legal career. Mm. And I didn't realize how or understand how mm -hmm. I could be so professionally successful and mm -hmm. so mentally unstable mm -hmm. at the same time because mm -hmm. professional success was supposed to fix the mm -hmm. trauma and the emotional stuff. No, I think it just adds to it because, the, you know, you get uh, that pressure of delivering yeah. and all that stuff and people want results out of like, you know, nothing. And I'm like, you want them to pull nothing out of thin air. And I'm like, regardless of how much money they throw at it. And I'm like, money isn't the key to fixing everything. Um, so, yeah, I definitely get that. So at what point did you start your podcast then? I started my podcast in 2019. Mm -hmm. I was... Recovering from learning why mm -hmm. I was still having panic attacks and anxiety attacks. And the best way that I can describe it mm -hmm. is like we've all had that week that like maybe we hosted people at our house for Thanksgiving or mm -hmm. we had a party at our house and we have more trash than normal and the trash guy hasn't come yet. Mm -hmm. And we're trying to put as much as we can in our trash can, mm -hmm. but the lid keeps popping up and we're like, how much more shit can I put in this trash mm -hmm. can before the lid like just blows? Mm -hmm. That's what my trauma box was like. Like mm -hmm. the success was supposed to be the trash guy that was going to come take away Mm -hmm. everything I didn't want to deal with. And yeah. I just kept shoving mm -hmm. this box full of all of the things that I was ready for someone else to take away. Yeah, And eventually it exploded and it overflowed. So as I dealt with those things and realized that I was going to have to do the inner trauma work in order to start to move forward, mm -hmm. I realized that I wanted to share that experience, you know, attorneys, doctors, so many people, but high, high um, achieving professions, postgraduate, there's this expectation that you're just supposed to be okay. And mm -hmm. that talking about mental health isn't okay to do. Mm -hmm. Nobody wants to go to an attorney and hear them talk about their panic and anxiety. They want to go to mm -hmm. an attorney and hear them talk about how big of a rock they are and they're mm -hmm. going to be a bulldog for you, right? Mm -hmm. So when I started opening up about this, I was really afraid that it was going to ruin my legal career. And instead, mm -hmm. what I found was that attorneys were coming out of the woodwork saying, well, I suffer from panic too. And I have anxiety too. And I have mm -hmm. depression. And I'm like, why are we all suffering in silence? Mm -hmm. So the podcast became a way for me to start to help people realize that they're not alone, no matter mm -hmm. where they're at in their journey, mm -hmm. that there's somebody else in the world that can relate to what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. So that they could actually start to get the connection that is mm -hmm. going to be the um, kryptonite to mm -hmm. their internal self feelings. So as you're putting that out, and um, I believe you said you're doing like, you know, two episodes a week, and then you slow down to one. <laughs> Excuse me. As you're going through this content and building this audience, does the goal then shift from, you know, because I'm sure you got a lot of good responses and stuff. And you built like a core fan base that then started expanding. So then what do you, where do you go with the podcast then? Because you've met the need, you've put out the information, people know that there's a community, but then how do you like build upon that? 
Yeah. So I think what's really interesting is what we find so often is that we talk about and we share what we need to hear the most so often. Mm -hmm. And so when I started my podcast, it was called More Than Corporate. And it was talking about how we're so much more than our professions. And so often we lose ourselves in our professions. Mm -hmm. And we need to remember the human being that we are that got us to that place. Mm -hmm. That makes complete sense because I was going through this identity crisis of feeling like all of my self-worth and all of my value came from the legal industry. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't know who I was as a person. As I healed, that message became faded for me and I was no longer aligned with talking about it. Mm -hmm as the name of the podcast. So when the book came out of Break Your Bullshit Box, mm -hmm. we rebranded to that. And much of the content from More Than Corporate is still relevant. Mm -hmm. Now, though, we talk less from the identity aspect and more from the possibility aspect. Mm -hmm. Instead of the identity aspect being the whole point of the show, mm -hmm. the identity aspect is one of four different approaches that we take to the show. Mm -hmm. um, I believe, and we, I, this is where Break Your Bullshit Box came from, I believe that we constantly live this life cycle. Mm -hmm. That we start by challenging our identity. Something happens that makes us question who we are and what our purpose is. And mm -hmm. then immediately after that happens, our bullshit excuses start to kick in. Whenever mm -hmm. we start to see the possibilities, you hear that voice in your head that tells you why you are not the right person or nobody's mm -hmm. going to listen to you or you can't mm -hmm. do it or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So once we deal with those excuses, then we need a plan. So we start to design our life. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we start to design our life, we have to have the courage to to go out and execute that plan. Mm -hmm. Well, as soon as we execute it, then there's something else that happens that challenges our identity. And then we have more excuses and then we need a plan and then we need courage. Mm -hmm. So I just believe there's this four cycle, this four part cycle that we can continuously live as human beings. Hmm. I definitely like to see that. So you released a book back in August. I did. did you have any expectations for the book at all or... No, I was happy to have written it. You know, we're re-releasing it within the next couple of, I would say month. It'll probably be out within the next month, doing mm -hmm. some just short formatting changes because mm -hmm. I rushed the release of the project. And this is where being true to what's important to you is so valuable because mm -hmm. I don't regret it at all. Mm -hmm. August 23rd of 2001 is the day my dad died. Mm -hmm. And so much of who I am today is mm -hmm. because of what he taught me when he was alive and what I learned about myself after he passed away. Mm -hmm. So for me, I wanted this book to release on that mm -hmm. date. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't get it released, it wasn't going to come out till next year. And I mm -hmm. felt like now was the time to release it. So we published it on that date. Mm -hmm. And then we're just making some small formatting and um, proofreading changes to it and going to re-release it. So for me, the expectation was following through on something that I had been saying that I wanted to do for the last four years and hadn't mm -hmm. executed on. The mm -hmm. I did make um, number one release, new release bestseller when it mm -hmm. was released. And so that was unexpected yeah. and Congratulations. great. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, but for me, it was more of a personal achievement of saying this mm -hmm. is something I've wanted to do for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I will say an unexpected result from it. And this is, I think, important for anybody that's sitting on that ledge of doing anything, whether it's speaking or whether it's releasing a book or starting mm -hmm. a business, is nothing about me changed from the day before I released the book and the day after I released the book. I was the mm -hmm. same person. Mm -hmm. However, I felt like I had this thing to offer the world. I felt like I had this credibility and this reason that people would approach me. So that mm -hmm. voice in my head that had always been, why would anybody listen to you? What do you have to offer? Well, now it was this book. And mm -hmm. it was really interesting to me how quickly that shifted and how much I didn't expect it. Mm -hmm. Because 
I had become really good at listening to that voice, telling it to shut up and moving forward. Mm -hmm. So sometimes that speaking engagement is the thing that shifts us from saying we're not a public speaker to being mm -hmm. a public speaker. Mm -hmm. Just opening the business is that thing that shifts us from saying I'm not a business owner to I am a business owner. Mm -hmm. I went from somebody who had been wanting to publish a book to a published author overnight, and it immediately changed the way that I felt about my value to the world. Yeah, I definitely get that. So then, you know, you talk about entrepreneurship and being a business owner. Like, at what point did you consider yourself a business owner or an entrepreneur? Oh, God, I don't know if I still do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I opened I, I opened my business in 2017 and mm -hmm. I knew nothing about opening a business. Mm -hmm. um, I, I joke, um, but it's based in real life that mm -hmm. like I had always worked in offices with those magic cupboards where supplies just fill themselves up. So mm -hmm. the first time that I had to go mail a letter, I was like, where's the envelopes and the stamps and the pens and how do mm -hmm. I stamp this? And how much does it cost to mail a letter and all mm -hmm. the things that I had never had to do because people did it for me in my professional mm -hmm. life. And so when I get asked often, what do you wish that you would have known when you opened your business? And I think that that's such a dangerous question mm -hmm. because if I had known everything I needed to know to open my business, I would have just made different mistakes, mm. right? Like we never know everything. So the mistakes mm -hmm. that I made, the things that I learned through trial and error, those were the things that I needed to learn. There's no such thing as a seamless business opening. No, if you're starting from like, this level of experience, what you open in your next business is always going to be different than what you opened before. Opening mm -hmm. my coaching business came with its own challenges that I never mm -hmm. experienced opening my law firm. Mm -hmm. So for me, what I wish I would have known when I opened my business is that nobody knows what the hell they're doing. Like when you look at somebody and you think they have it all together, they don't. They're just really, really good at being okay, not knowing what they're doing and mm -hmm. being willing to figure it out. Yeah. Hey, I, I say that all the time because um, I've had multiple businesses that I've opened and the first business didn't do what I wanted it to do as far as goals and stuff, but it was a great learning curve for me. Um, and then of course tax write-offs and all that stuff, whatever helped too, because I was working at the time. Um, but everything has gotten easier as far as the opening and launching of the business where you know what direction you want to go into. But like you said, they're their own problems. Like I have a marketing business and I help small businesses market. Now that in itself is one complicated problem because small businesses owners, don't know what they offer. Yeah. <laughs> or they don't um, see the value in paying a third party to work because they think they can just deal with themselves. But I'm like, you're good at your business. You're not good at marketing. That's, Ain't you know, that the truth? Hey, and see? yeah, like there's there was a really good podcast for anybody who's um, football fans with the Kelsey brothers. Mm -hmm. And they do a series called No Dumb Questions, which mm -hmm. is I, I love so much. And especially with Travis Kelsey being... Um, in a relationship with Taylor Swift. Now they're getting all the Swifties that are asking questions. Mm -hmm. And so they're calling in and they're asking questions like, what is a down? And Travis is trying to answer this. And he's like, a down is a down. Mm -hmm. And that's the value of having an outside marketer, right? Is like, we get into our business so much and we know it so well. Mm -hmm. The things that people don't understand about our business, we have a hard time explaining to them. Mm -hmm. And when we bring in a third party marketer that doesn't live in our business world, they can say like, you're making a jump from point A to point Z. And I need mm -hmm. you to fill in the rest of the alphabet because nobody understands what the hell you're talking about. And that's how I try to, you know what? I'm going to start using that analogy. That's what I've been, I've been trying to say it to them that way. Um, Cause like I, I picked up a fingerprinting and background client and I didn't know all the other different stuff you could do with the fingerprinting business, like fingerprint cars and what they're used for and the ATF wanting them and, you know, going across state lines and all that stuff. So I think it's very interesting amount of information that I'm learning, but it's like, you know, it's her stuff and she knows it. But I was like, we have to be able to break this down and educate the um, the potential consumer so they can make informed decisions. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's I, I love it. 
Um, and more than that, mm -hmm. being willing, like the other thing that I'm in love with right now when it comes to marketing, mm -hmm. and I don't live in the marketing world, so I want to mm -hmm. make that clear, but I love studying businesses. Mm -hmm. And I am fascinated with what's going on with the Stanley Cups right now and watching mm -hmm. them just fly off the off the shelf, not hockey Stanley Cups, but drinking mm -hmm. Stanley Cups, mm -hmm. right? And I was watching an interview with somebody about the chief marketing officer for Stanley. And people don't realize a lot of times that Stanley, the cute pink cup with the handle, is the same company that released those ugly ass green thermal things that we all used when we were, you know, kids mm -hmm. um, or your parents took to their job site when you were a kid. Mm -hmm. And there came a point where they were so tied to that identity and their chief marketing officer had to say like, you have all of these single moms or stay at home moms or, mm -hmm. you know, these young adults that want to buy your cups and they want them with handles and pastel colors, like give them what they want. Exactly. So, so often as business owners, we get tied to what we think our business is. Mm -hmm. And I think what I've learned over the last, what, nine years or eight years of owning a business is that my business drastically is never what I think it's going to be. Mm -hmm. What I think I'm going to be delivering to a client is very rarely what they think they need. Mm -hmm. And my job as a service provider is to cause those two things to meet mm -hmm. where what I know they need is what they end up getting. But I don't try to convince them you need this over here. Mm -hmm. I give them what it is they want. And mm -hmm. then we walk them into mm -hmm. the middle. And that is really hard to do without an outside perspective of your business. Yes. I, I love that. Um, so getting into coaching and public speaking, right? How were you able to learn to land your first client? And then how were you able to land your first public, uh, your speaking engagement? So the public speaking, I'm going to start there. I, have a love hate relationship with the public speaking industry. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, it's rough. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the most frustrating things for me is this like pay to play world. Um, yeah. it, and I think what it comes down to is just making sure, like, have I paid to be on stages? Absolutely, I have. Have mm -hmm. I been paid to be on stages? Yes, I have. Mm -hmm. There's this, like, moment where you've got to pay your dues. Um, mm -hmm. And so the pay-to-play things can be helpful in that way. I think when it comes to deciding whether or not I'm willing to pay to speak in an event, my internal process is, is this an event that I would go to if I wasn't speaking? Mm -hmm. And then from there, what's the value that I'm going to get mm -hmm. if I pay to be on this stage? Is it mm -hmm. the connections? What mm -hmm. What's the purpose of that? So mm -hmm. if you're somebody who wants to be a speaker mm -hmm. and you decide to do a pay to play, my biggest mm -hmm. advice to you, the most valuable I've ever gotten from a pay to play is an event that will actually do a speaker reel for you mm -hmm. in exchange for your investment to come on as a speaker. And yeah. so that way you leave with assets that you mm -hmm. can start marketing yourself because mm -hmm. that speaker reel is invaluable. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say is, and this was something else I didn't realize about the in industry because I'm somebody who values transparency and authenticity. Mm -hmm. It's a chicken and the egg situation. So you need the experience to get the speaking engagement. You need the mm -hmm. speaking engagement in order to get the mm -hmm. stuff to show you have the experience. And so it might be that you need to call up your friends and you need to ask them to sit in an audience and you need to go stand on a stage and you need to practice your speech with them and have somebody video it and make a speaker reel for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, does it feel like you're cheating? It can, but hate the game, not the player, right? That's what you, yeah. that's what you got to do to have the results. So you know, it was a lot of showing up in places, being willing. The podcast helped create mm -hmm. your own stage, right? Mm -hmm. If people won't put you on your on their stage, create your own. So the mm -hmm. podcast gave me a platform. Mm -hmm. um, that's the advice for speaking. Um, my first coaching client, I, again, there's this area where People think they need a certain amount of experience mm -hmm. in order to be able to charge people for something. Yep. And this is 
one of my biggest pet peeves because however old you are, that's how many years of experience you have at being you. Mm-hmm. And people are paying you to be you in mm-hmm. a relationship with them. So mm-hmm. if, you know, I, I have a client, for example, who's a massage therapist and she wanted mm-hmm. to start a stretching class, a stretching program. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, Amber, I just don't have any experience stretching. And I said, how long have you been a massage therapist? Mm -hmm. And she's like 10 years. And I said, and you've never stretched anybody in 10 years. And she's like, no, I stretch them every day. And I said, so you have 10 years of experience. Well, Mm -hmm. I've never done it in this way. You know, before we started recording, we were talking about the podcast Mm -hmm. and we were talking about how the content didn't change, but the wrapping paper did. So as you create this new product or service, Mm -hmm. your experiences aren't necessarily changing. The wrapping paper of Mm -hmm. what you're offering is changing and that doesn't take away your experiences. Mm -hmm. So owning what it is you bring to the table Mm-hmm. is so incredibly important when you're trying to get your first client in a new business. Mm-hmm. The second thing is to get rid of the fake it till you make it attitude. To me, that is the most dangerous statement that exists in the, our mm-hmm. world today. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants you to fake it till you make it because whether you believe in energetic work or not, there mm-hmm. is scientific proof to um, show that you actually enter a room up to a full second before your body enters a room, that you have this energetic force field around you. Have you Mm -hmm. ever been in a situation where somebody walks into the room and everybody's attention immediately goes to that Mm -hmm. person because the energy changed? Mm -hmm. Or that cousin that always complains about everything about their life comes home Mm -hmm. for family dinner and Mm -hmm. the entire energetic frequency Mm -hmm. of the room goes down. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So what happens when we say fake it to them till you make it is we already feel unaligned Mm -hmm. with what it is we're doing. And we already feel like we're being inauthentic. And Mm -hmm. now we want somebody to give us money in exchange Mm -hmm. for being inauthentic. Mm -hmm. Being willing to be true and honest about what you know and what you think you can do for somebody while Mm -hmm. also acknowledging that you still have more to learn and you always will Mm -hmm. is the only way that you're going to be able to get the experience that you need. So Mm -hmm. you can do barters. Um, I've done barters in the past. My rule when I, when I, Um, coach my clients on opening new businesses Mm -hmm. is that everything has to have an exchange of value. Mm -hmm. Money is just an exchange of value. That's all it is. It's an exchange of energy. So if you don't feel comfortable uh, just yet mm -hmm. exchanging for that green money, the fun coupons, Mm -hmm. then exchange for something else that has a similar value. Mm -hmm. How much would you charge for your service and what can somebody else put together in a package Mm -hmm. that you can barter with that is of similar value? If that makes you feel better, that That's a client. Use that as a testimonial and then grow your business from there. But stop Mm -hmm. doing shit for free. Yeah. What you just said, the money is exchange of energy. My last interview I just did, uh, what's today? Today's Thursday. Why not do it? It was either Monday or Tuesday or last week said that same same exact thing. And I love that, you know, I've been running into the, all the interviewees that I've been interviewing, y'all all have the same thread of how you're looking at yourself and your businesses and stuff and y'all align together in it with myself and i believe that you know this like you know i believe in energy and spirituality and things of that nature and i feel like you know what i'm saying my new alignment is with a lot of y'all and that's why i'm getting the interviews that i'm getting that's why i'm having a fun that i'm having with the interviews and you know it's not even feeling like podcasting well first of all tell people this is fun i just get paid to have fun right um, <laughs> how i feel I about my it. trainings my mom's like when do you work and they say when I, well first of all i work whenever i'm not working because i'm uh-huh. an entrepreneur so uh-huh. i'm always at work unless i'm not at work yeah but second of all and and this is what caused me to start to make the shift from being an attorney is i can stand in front of a training class and do a full eight-day training and mm-hmm. be completely energized the whole time and mm-hmm. then i can go to a court appearance and feel like i need a nap after two hours because mm-hmm. i'm not energetically aligned with mm-hmm. what I'm doing in exactly. a courtroom. I exactly. know really brilliant attorneys that can do a two-week jury trial and they are bouncing off the walls constantly. That's good. They should stay in that environment. That is mm-hmm. not for me. Exactly. I, I love that. Jury trials drain me. 
And uh, yeah, I, I love that you found your your new purpose in life. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, I mean, my my the reason I say that and my advice for people is like, if you feel like you are energetically dragging yourself through your life, mm -hmm. figure out what the purpose is of you feeling like it needs to be hard. Mm -hmm. Like what, where are you not aligned with what you're doing? Because mm -hmm. the moment you align, it's like mm -hmm. all of the speed limits on your success just mm -hmm. completely disappear. Yeah. So uh, let's go back to your podcast. What's the format of your podcast? Do you have like interview style podcasts? Is it just you or? Um, I'm glad that you clarified that because often my podcast doesn't have a format. It turns out being very conversational. Okay. Um, and sometimes it goes off the rails, but mm -hmm. we do interviews. I'm going to start doing solo episodes again. I had fallen off of them for a while, but mm -hmm. I'm getting feedback from people that they miss them. So mm -hmm. um, we do a interview format that goes between 30 minutes and two hours. Um, mm -hmm. I've had people that I've had to break down into multiple episodes because the conversation mm -hmm. just flows and you don't want to cut it off. Exactly. Um, and then uh, my solo episodes are normally 10 to 15 minutes that I'll release mm -hmm. in between. So, what has podcasting taught you? Oh man, that as an attorney, I thought I knew how to communicate and I didn't. Um, <laughs> it's like... I, love it. I love how you're honest. I mean, there's no other way to be, right? Um, it made me a better attorney. All of this communication training made me a better attorney because I could walk into a courtroom and mm -hmm. appear differently. At the same time, my experiences in a courtroom made me a better interviewer mm -hmm. because I had always been trained as an attorney that if you lose your case and you have to appeal, the people who are deciding whether you win or not aren't listening to the audio, they're reading a transcript. Mm -hmm. So when they read that transcript, you better make damn sure that when you did the trial, you mm -hmm. explained the scenario good enough for them to read it and understand mm -hmm. it. So interviewing taught me or podcasting taught me, number one, that human connection is so incredibly important and we have mm -hmm. lost so much of it oh, in yes. the oh current industry we're in right now. I just think um, the world has in general. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, secondly, that as the host, I don't need to be the expert. Like mm -hmm. I love when I have people that I can flow with. Mm-hmm. And my interviews are much better when I show up to the interview curious instead mm -hmm. of believing that I need to have the answers. Mm -hmm. Being curious, I think it was my word of the year for 2021 was curiosity. Mm -hmm. And I think approaching that, I mean, when, when I start my trainings, my first level of training that I tell people is that the mm -hmm. four most dangerous words in the English language are, I already know that. Mm. because we shut down and we mm -hmm. miss information that we didn't actually know because we think we know how to do it. Right. Mm -hmm. So whenever I go into an episode, even if it's with a coach that does very similar things that I do, mm -hmm. I approach it as if I know nothing, mm -hmm. being curious about how they approach things, because you made a comment a few minutes ago about your last few episodes and how you've loved the fact that energetically they're aligned with you and we're approaching things and saying some of the same things in, throughout the episodes. But I can guarantee you if somebody went back and listened to all those episodes, every single one of them has different nuggets. Yeah. And if somebody heard a similar phrase and said, oh, I've already heard this. I already know this. Then they miss mm -hmm. everything else that's in the episode. Mm -hmm. And that's what happens so often with communication is we read somebody's bio and we say, oh, but I already know how to coach. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. This is also why when I host live events, I don't release an agenda. I tell people I what time to, to expect to be there, what time to mm -hmm. expect lunch. But I never tell people the order of the speakers. I never mm -hmm. tell people what to expect because mm -hmm. I don't want somebody reading through the speakers going, I already know what that person's going to say. I love it. It's, it's the same way when I interview people, right? And I have these, what, I call it an interview. It's really more of a conversation because we go back and forth. Um, they were like, hey, uh, what questions are you going to ask? I'm like, I have ah. no idea. Don't exactly. ask me that. I, said, I tell them. I said, like, look, there's a baseline. Hey, how you got started? Blah, blah, blah. After that, it's however the conversation flows. Yeah. You know, I have different things that I want to achieve and talk about and stuff like that. But if it takes on a whole nother uh, spectrum of something, I'm fine with that. 
Well, and aren't those some of your best episodes, which I mean, I know some of my best episodes are ones where I had this plan and agenda for where I wanted it to go. Mm -hmm. And we went somewhere incredibly different that I could have not even imagined taking Mm -hmm. it that was so much more valuable than what I had put together. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a really, really cool interview um, with Seth Meyers talking Mm -hmm. about Taylor Swift. Have you seen this interview? Mm -mm, I haven't. So Seth Meyers is talking about Taylor Swift coming on and hosting SNL when Seth Meyers was a writer for SNL. Mm -hmm. And they had written this monologue Mm -hmm. for Taylor Swift. And she walks in and she says, so before they even show her anything, she says, so I, I actually wrote a song that I think might be a good fit for the monologue. Can I play it for you? And so they bring everybody in and they ripped up their monologue and they're like, we wish we could tell you how bad what we had written for you Mm -hmm. was compared to what you had provided. And I think as podcast hosts or as communicators in general, Mm -hmm. when we go into a conversation with a set of expectations about where it's going to go, we lose the ability to allow the other person in that conversation to bring their genius to it, to take Mm -hmm. it to the places that we didn't know it could go because we don't know what that other person knows or how they see the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So so like I said, uh, started podcasting in 2016, I think uh, after I got into with the independent artists, because a lot of them weren't used to like media and you know things of that nature. When I started doing the business people, I stopped uh, preparing questions and stuff, and I have not done since. Like yeah. I don't even I don't even write down my questions anymore. I don't either. Like sometimes, I mean, if they're an author and they give mm-hmm. me enough time, I'll read a I'll read their book before mm-hmm. we do an interview, or at least I'll read a couple chapters at a minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, if They've done a lot of other interviews. I might scan through to make sure that I'm not mm-hmm. asking the same boring questions that, that everybody yeah. else has offered. Yeah, I do but that. To me, the less I know about the mm-hmm. guest, the more authentic and curious the conversation actually is. Exactly. And that's how I look at it. Because um, I don't want to, uh, like I said, I, I do that. I'll skip over, you know what I'm saying? Skim through, not skip over, skim through a couple of the interviews, but I always like to ask uh, questions that just come to mind. And I love when people are like, oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Like, they or just I've light never up been everything. asked that before. Uh-huh. I've never been asked that before as a podcast host gold. Like I get giddy uh-huh. when somebody says, nobody's ever asked me that before. I'm like, I uh-huh. have done my job as a host. Exactly. Now, all you need is one. You know what I'm saying? Throughout the yeah. entire conversation, I need, oh, well, that's a good question. Right? If you're a golfer, <laughs> it's like that hole in one, right? That yeah. shot that comes uh-huh. every, like, so often that's like that unicorn. Mm-hmm. So, as you're going through and you're making these life decisions and transitions, right? What was the response from your um, your networking people that you told, the ones that you confided in about your ideas and dreams and wanting to do something different? It varied. So the biggest advice I can give to somebody and the thing that I'm so thankful for is that I had a group of people who understood that Mm -hmm. I could go check myself with. And Mm -hmm. these were people who were never going to tell me what I should or shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. They were people that I had gone through the NLP trainings with. And so they knew Mm -hmm. the way that success worked. People who had no attachment to my success at all. My Mm -hmm. family were the least understanding and the most supportive, if that makes any sense at all. They wanted to support me as a human being because they loved me, but Mm -hmm. they didn't understand. And they would never understand Mm -hmm. because they've never been through it. They're not Mm -hmm. business owners. Mm -hmm. Um, The hardest part was actually in my professional circles. Mm -hmm. I was, I had been in networking groups for so long as an attorney And that's how people knew me. So when I started posturing as a business coach and Mm -hmm. talking about speaking and being an author and all of those things, I actually shifted and left that networking group and went to another one um, Mm -hmm. because I gave it about a year and a half and everybody still saw me as the attorney. And I felt like I needed that fresh start in the professional Mm -hmm. world. It took me a long time. Um, I opened my coaching business in 2019, so mm-hmm. four years, mm-hmm. for me to start to figure out how to be Amber the human that mm-hmm. is also an attorney, that is also a business coach, that is also mm-hmm. an author, mm-hmm. not Amber the attorney that opened a business coaching company. And those are two very different things. Yeah. Oh, so with your uh, 
your you have your business coaching and then of course you open your own practice but the podcast do you look at it as like a business or how do you look at your podcast how do you view it Um, so it's gone through different phases. It Mm started as a passion project. Mm -hmm. And then when the business opened, it became a marketing tool. Mm -hmm. Um, for me, it's a credibility builder. Mm -hmm. Um, and also for me, sometimes it's like, sometimes I'll have a really shitty day Mm -hmm. and I'll have this podcast interview and I'll think, God, I don't want to do this today. I'm not in Mm -hmm. the mindset for this. Mm -hmm. And that conversation is exactly what I needed. Mm-hmm. to shift my mindset. Um, so it's been kind of my own therapeutic journey. Mm-hmm. I think ideally we as podcasters all want it to be monetizable at some point in time. Mm-hmm. But the moment that we make it a business, mm-hmm. I, I've never taken sponsors on it. I've never mm-hmm. done anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, because the moment that we take sponsors on it, the moment it mm-hmm. becomes a business, it becomes mm-hmm. something different than what mm-hmm. we intended it to be. Yeah. And I'm not saying I wouldn't take sponsors mm-hmm. and I'm not saying that I wouldn't monetize it. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I'm just open to the possibilities of where the conversations can take me mm-hmm. more than where the podcast itself can take me. Well, okay. So I'll give you my experience with mine, right? Um, business oriented because my degree is in business with a concentration in marketing. Um, but I've always used mine as like a funnel system for other things. So yeah, I'll go and interview guests, but then those guests, some of them become clients, marketing clients, right? Or, you know, networking clients to where, you know, they'll send me people and things of that nature because they get to see everything I do. So then the services be like, you know, production type things, uh, other people wanting to start their podcast and they're taking up my time. So then I'm going to charge them to show them how to set up something correctly. That yeah. way, you know what I'm saying? They won't fall into those numbers. I don't know if you've seen the numbers and stuff, but the uh, success rate in podcasting is horrible because people don't understand it has to be consistent. You know, you have to build your audience and it doesn't just come overnight. No, it doesn't. And people expect that, right? Um, The best advice I was given was to not launch your show until you had two months of content, Mm -hmm. because then you could launch your show and then Mm -hmm. you could spend at least a month um, marketing it and then Mm -hmm. to always make sure you were at least a month ahead. Now, Mm -hmm. there have been times that I've produced content on a whim. And sometimes Mm -hmm. that's ended up in my favor. I did an episode from the golf course one day Mm -hmm. because I had forgotten to record an episode. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if I'm going to talk about work-life harmony and how there's no excuses and flexibility is the most important thing, then I guess Mm -hmm. it's about time that I do what Mm -hmm. I speak. So we had just finished the um, course and right off of the 18th grain, I pulled out my phone and was like, all right, here's the content for today. Um, And it turned out being a fantastic (laughs) episode because Uh it showed the flexibility in the life that I talk about so much. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that the most important thing that people need to do when they take on any venture, mm-hmm. um, regardless of whether it's business, personal, I mean, this is the question that drives everything I do. And that is what is success to me in this scenario? I'm just so, about to ask you that. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yes. So like when I'm actually working on a planner right now, because I do this as my own practice, uh-huh. when I do my planning in the evening for mm-hmm. the next day, mm-hmm. um, I put down my calendar, my agenda. Then when I wake up in the morning, as I'm reviewing that, I write down what would make that day a success. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of the day, I ask myself, what made today a success? And sometimes mm-hmm. they're the same things and sometimes they're different. Yeah. Anytime I enter into a business relationship, a personal relationship, anytime I go to a networking event, anytime I accept any type of offer, mm-hmm. I have a clear understanding of what I want to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the most important thing I can say about this is have an understanding of what success means to you in that Mm -hmm. scenario, but also have an open mind enough to acknowledge possibilities that you may not have considered Mm -hmm. so that you don't get this tunnel vision. Understanding what a return on investment is, what they want out of it, and what success is throughout Mm -hmm. every minute part of our life is the only way that we can achieve it. I love it. So do you feel uh, at this point in your life, do you feel fulfilled? I definitely feel fulfilled. Sometimes Mm -hmm. I feel successful. 
which I think is probably the most powerful way that I mm -hmm. can put it because for a long time, I thought I need to feel successful every single day. And sometimes mm -hmm. I just feel like I failed. Sometimes mm -hmm. I don't feel like I'm successful. Mm -hmm. And the external person can look at me and say, well, look at everything that you've done. First person mm -hmm. in your family, go to college, th mm -hmm. three businesses, like mm -hmm. what, what do you want? And I'm, well, I want to feel successful. And mm -hmm. almost always mm -hmm. when I don't feel successful, it's because I'm unaligned with what I'm doing. Mm. I like the honesty in that. I like the, uh, my own definition of success is being able to do what you love to do. Yeah. And, you know, getting paid for it is like the icing on the cake and stuff. So yeah. Would get you do it up. even if you weren't getting paid? Yep, exactly. And that's how I chase my, uh, chase my goals and stuff. Yeah, like, absolutely. Even with like podcasting and investing in more stuff, the equipment, you know, like I'm, I'm inside my uh, studio right now, even though, you know, I got the watermark on or whatever. Um, and I went from a two room facility to now a six room facility. Um, so it's like, you know, a lobby area, my office where I do most of my interviews and stuff from zoom um, another room that I use just for that, a uh, photo studio, office behind that, little conference room area. So, and I get to come here every day and create stuff. Yeah, I love it. absolutely. I love it. I'd love that for myself. So that's how I define success. So for anyone out there, and I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, by the way, um, if uh, for anyone out there who wants to get in contact with you, you know, maybe they want to use you for coaching services, maybe they want to hire you as a speaker, Maybe they're in the area and they need, you know what I'm saying, law uh, advice, things of that nature, or business advice. Where would you like people to be directed to? Um, they can head over to Facebook is probably the best way. Um, I have a community, the Break Your Bullshit Box community, and a lot of the updates of what I do are there. Um, they can head over to my website as well at successdevelopmentsolutions.com, and they can book a link on my calendar if they want to connect. I love this. Thank you, Amber. Thank you for your time. Thank you for agreeing to do the interview. Thank you so much um, for having me on. It was fantastic. I loved the conversation. You know, and that's my goal for all my conversations for, you know, everyone to walk away with something. And I feel like, you yeah. know, so we had a mutual exchange of energy and, you know, Absolutely. ideas and conversation. So I definitely, I would definitely love to, you know, have you back on in the future to see, you know, how further along you've gotten and, you know, more successes that you've accomplished. I'm always down for it. And I'm looking forward to just continued connection with you. So if there's anything I can do to support you at any time, please let me know. That's what's up. Everybody out there, yeah, make sure y'all go and you need a book, book with Amber. And of course, you know what I'm saying? All her stuff will be listed on the video. And as always, y'all can go and go to the Bank That Radio Show and all the social media handles and things of that nature. And y'all keep doing what you're doing. Keep chasing your dreams. Mm -hmm.